hola, hola, my name is Ricardo, I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. So Back to open the voice gate for April 19th, 2023. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our, our redcircle.com landing site. You, you click the link that says sponsor this podcast. It's a red box. You set up a one time recurring donation no obligation whatsoever but we would like to thank all of our previous donors i'm one of your hosts it's your old pal mike spears joining alongside as always case low in case what is your favorite b-league team oh my goodness there's so many to choose from i i, I couldn't possibly decide on just one of my favorite japanese basketball teams i have to i have to throw that question back in your direction mike i think as of today it is the toyama grouses who had Natural had natural vibes out there doing party anthem before the game as a part of their overall uh Toyama like supermart matches that they've done lately. Part with our friends at the Let Corporation. I saw you fired this tweet off today, case. Okay? So I've been kind of obsessed with this team ever since. Yeah, I there's if you have not seen the photos of natural vibes dancing at a basketball game. Those are up on our Twitter account at open voice on Twitter. It seemed like a good time. And I hope this leads to a new boom period in Toyama. It's not a city that I'm int intimately familiar with. I, I don't get the impression 
it's a city that Dragon Gate spends all that much time in. Maybe I'm horribly wrong, but as a, a quick search, it tells me they haven't run here uh, in a proper show since February uh, 2016. So, yes, this is uh, exciting. It's fun stuff. I like when Dragon Gate goes out and ventures outside of their bubble, and I always enjoy a good natural vibes dance. My other, my second favorite B-League team, now as I have Wikipedia open, Earth Friends Tokyo Z. That's good stuff. I gotta, I, I gotta, I gotta dive into the B League and more importantly the uniforms that they wear. That's what, that's what will pique my interest. Yeah, yeah. I gotta say Toyama, uh, the Grouses, red and white. You know, they, they keep it kind of simple. Kind of reminds you of old school Rockets. Kind of vibe. I'm getting. Okay. Yeah. Do you, you remember? You know, do you remember very early in the pandemic when there was no sports and ESPN was showing Korean baseball at like six o'clock in the morning? Yeah, the, uh, that's where you got to see the NC Dinos. Yeah, that was a dark time where I remember really wanting to follow the NPB that year and not being able to really find anywhere to stream games online and it being frustrating because I thought, well, you know, if I'm ever going to get into Japanese baseball, this is going to be the time to do it when there's no Major League Baseball going on. And that didn't happen, but... ESPN2, I could hear Earl Hershiser announce a Korean baseball game from his apartment as I wake up at the crack of dawn, and it was just, ah, oh, what what a dark time in humanity. Yeah, it, like ESPN, th- that was when they did the NFL draft year where everyone was at their houses. Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury was in his castle. Yeah, like, that. we should have known Cliff Kingsbury had different priorities when we saw that house, right? I'd like to know if he's still living there. That's, uh, you know, I, I would imagine. I know he landed on his feet. He's got another job already, but I would imagine he took some sort of salary cut. Well, well, you know what he did first after he got fired from the Falcons or not the Falcons, the Cardinals. Well, I remind me he did something weird. He immediately packed his bags and went backpacking in Thailand. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I, I got to I got to be honest. That's not what I want from an NFL coach. I, I It's the same you know, Aaron Rodgers is an idiot, and I don't like Aaron Rodgers for a number of reasons, but my beef with him is always he treats us like we're idiots because we don't do the things that he does. You know, in his mind, we're dumber for not going on darkness retreats, and if he was wacky about it, if he was like, ah, I'm a quirky guy, that's what I want to do, it would almost be endearing, but instead he he treats himself like a top dog just because he's a weird guy. I don't I don't need athletes being spiritual, finding themselves anywhere. I just need them nose to the grindstone. I know that's not very artistic of me. It, it probably doesn't make me a good human, but I want them to be a little bit more machine than I do man. Yeah, it, you have to come by your weirdness naturally. It feels yes. very put upon with uh, uh, with Rogers, of Aaron Rodgers. Because, like... you know, Aaron Rodgers was kind of a normal, likable guy for about 10 years, and then it just went away. Yeah, uh, Maybe coinciding with his brother going on The Bachelor. Oh, I didn't know his brother's on The Bachelor. Oh, oh, The Bachelorette. He won his season of Bachelorette. Really? Yeah. And like they made a thing of like, oh yeah, because him and his family did not talk before that, but like they made it very clear that Aaron would not be anywhere around it or around his family at that point. Interesting. All right. I just I remember his his relationship with Danica Patrick and, and after that. It, he, you know, he's one of those people that that got full pandemic brained and lied about being vaccinated and then pivoted really hard into ivermectin. And, and ever since then, he has not been the same. Well, I mean, 
who was the actress that he dated like right before he got really out there was it shailene woodley i i think so i remember he was yeah. dating yeah it was it was shailene woodley yeah because i remember shailene woodley like before like the alt science or whatever became a thing she was big on drinking raw water from lakes good lord so maybe do you know that's who, what... do you know who he's dating now i thought he was dating the uh daughter of the milwaukee bucks yeah yeah mallory edens who yes i have that name on lock and ready to go but (laughs) i think she's my age and i'm not here to shame age gaps they're adults for the most part they can do what they want it just it just bugs me because she seemed like a net positive nepo baby and then she linked up with Aaron Rodgers, and now I hate her. I, you know, I look. I used to, I used to quite enjoy when TNT would show her on camera at Bucks games, and it's just not the same anymore. I, I I'm sorry that Aaron Rodgers personally inconvenienced you this much, buddy. I, you know, I, I, she grew up with money, and I can tell she did quite well for herself. But Aaron Rodgers is not the way to go. <laughs> I, I, I think that the Jets will learn that as well. Which can we can we shit or get off the pot with that? Can he officially become a New York Jet? Because I am so entertained at the thought of 2023 Aaron Rodgers in the New York media market away from the shelter that is Green Bay. Can we make that trade official finally? I mean, it's something. So my uh, partner's dad is a Green Bay shareholder. Ugh. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, like he has the, the, there's a lot of yellow foam in his living room. But he he got very animated when I asked him about, like, don't they have to make the trade? Why isn't the trade happening? And turn a different color when that when that happened. I think it's Green Bay wants too much, I guess. Yeah, I I don't I don't know what the uh, what the situation is there. I just know I find it very hard to communicate with Packers fans in real life. Yeah, uh, they much like Jimmy Lloyd. They're different. Is that what he goes by? He was the different boy, Jimmy Lloyd, for the longest time. Oh that was his God. nickname. Hey, real quick, I know we got a lot to talk about, and I know we're a day late in recording. I apologize. My girlfriend left for Paris last night, and I was not allowed to record a podcast last night, which, fair, I, I did have to take her to the airport, which I get. I love her. I was more than happy to do it. I was not allowed to record a podcast last night. Thus, we are here a day later. I do apologize for that. Tony Deppen, the man who supposedly, if you can't have a good match with Tony Deppen, you can't have a good match with anybody, despite the fact that I thought he, he brought Yamato down well below his level i'm noticing a trend and maybe it's just that no one actually watches indie wrestling that that could go to this theory tony deppens in a lot of big matches i see a lot a lot of match cards with tony deppen versus x established wrestler i never see the fallout i never see the hype i never see the tastemakers that i trust going hey you need to watch this match it's weird how that doesn't ever happen yeah uh, I I mean, I feel like he's just like the house guy that everyone is like, oh, we, we bring you in and you're, you're going to face Tony Depp. And so I think it's more that like he is just there and they know that he's not going to like try to go do something insane. He in the last two months has wrestled Leo Rush, Samoa okay. Joe, Willie Mack. And I'm going to I'm going to put Willie Mack on this list because I think he's a very good wrestler. Jun Akiyama, Negro Casas, Hot Sauce Tracy Williams, and Shigehiro Irie. 
and I just don't hear anybody going, man, you got to watch Deppin versus X. It's just weird how that doesn't happen. Yeah, that actually the the way you read you read it off that reminded me of like a 2017 like Euro trip for an American wrestler just facing a whole bunch of random people. Like that is a, a real assortment. I just feel like if you were if you were the rest of the people thought you were and you wrestled Negro Casas even at his age and were in a tag match with Junakiyama and you got Irie and you got Willie Mack in there. I feel like I would feel the need to check out one of those matches. I feel like I would I want to do that. And I feel like people would talk about them if they were worth a damn at all, especially Casas and, and Irie guys and, and, and Akiyama rather not uh, not Shigehiro, but rather Jun Akiyama guys that people love to put over, especially in that scene. A three-star, and I watched the match because I enjoyed the World on Lucha show, didn't think much of Negro Casas versus Tony Deppin. And the people that are favorable to that brand and favorable to those wrestlers, awfully quiet on that one as well. Really strange how that works. Yeah, when that got announced, I was like, well, that makes sense, but I don't think that's going to be a hot little number there, and history has proved me right. Yeah, I don't know who... uh, from the GCW camp, I would have liked to have seen Wrestle Negro Casas, but it wasn't Tony Deppen. I know that much. Yeah, no, I, 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 I would want to see Irie versus Negro Casas. To be honest, I do like, by the way, uh, this last GCW doubleheader this past weekend, April fifteenth, Tony Deppen versus Shaza McKenzie. April sixteenth, Tony Deppen versus Shigehiro Irie. That is. Uh, that that is a difference in talent. Uh, no buzz on either match, but a, a noticeable difference in talent. Oh, that's a weekend, <laughs> all right. <laughs> that's a weekend. Uh, we have a lot of stuff we want to talk about this week, but case we were previewing it last week. We like to keep tabs on G something here on the program. Gleet G Pro Wrestling version forty nine Invader was from Corkin on the twelfth. What a company this is. That's that's a nice way of describing it. I mean, we can start off off the bat. And, you know, this is a podcast. Look, this week specifically, not going to be a lot of current Dragon Gate talk. At the very end of the episode, we'll cover the weekend in Fukuoka, the matches we like, the things that uh, I, I have tabs on that I want to talk to Mike about. This is primarily going to be a Gleet podcast and a History of Dragon Gate podcast with our second topic next week. We will do a full Dead or Alive preview, which I'm really excited about because I think that card looks great. But we have to take some diversions this week. And given the names that are prominent in Gleet, I I think it is fair that the Drangate podcast spends an extended amount of time talking about some of their bigger shows and some of their bigger matches. And I I gave you the over-under last week. I think it was 800.5 fans over-under on would they hit that or not. You went over with T-Hawk. I I thought I went under. I thought it went under. you went under. You're right. You went under. I went over because I thought I thought they could crack a thousand with T Hawk versus Ashita, and they did 707 fans in yeah, Corkin Hall main event G Rex title match T Hawk versus Kaito Ashita, a G Infinity tag title match with uh, Chek Shimatani, our guy, and Hayato Tamura versus El Bendito and Flamita, your semi main event. 707 fans. What do you make of that number off the bat? I think that this this is a number that is not only indicative of Gleet, but it kind of shows you how the Dragon System populace has gone. And it, and that was one of the reasons why 
in the back of my mind, I was kind of anti, I was under, because if you think about it, like, these are guys who've been all over Dragon Gate, or at least making up a lot of this promotion has been Stronghearts guys. They've already kind of settled after leaving Dragon Gate. Like OWE, the action stuff, appearing Wrestle 1, DDT, like they've done all their loops, and I I don't know how much legs that had. And at the same time, this Ishida as champion, this like short spell and having this bad number, like outrightly bad number case, like I think this kind of really puts a big uh, mark in the column that Dragon Gate is a draws as a brand more so than wrestlers anymore. Because one would think that Ishida in the past, like we, if we were talking about people leaving like a decade ago, we would talk about like fan clubs and stuff like that. And that's just not happening. You know, this is the perfect time to talk about this. And, and there's there's a number of different avenues we can go down. I think we should we should start with the Gleet versus Dragon Gate comparison in not necessarily one to one. You know, it's it's a little bit apples and oranges with these guys, just given the history and the longevity of the Dragon Gate brand compared to the newness of Gleet. There is the counter to make that, hey, you know, Toriumon is drawn from show one and they've always been a consistent draw. Gleet has never really shown signs of that. But I I don't know if this is on your radar as much as it is mine, but we're two weeks away, basically, from the five-year anniversary of the OWE split. And I think it's really interesting looking at that and looking at the fallout. Again, I mean, five years is a long time. It's been five years since Shima has wrestled in Dragon Gate, five years since T-Hawk has wrestled in Dragon Gate. For all intents and purposes, five years since El Lindemann and Takahiro Yamamura have wrestled in Dragon Gate. That is a long time. And your big picture thoughts, Mike, this is what I kind of want to know before I break it down in a micro sense and talk about Dead or Alive 2018 versus Dead or Alive 2023. But on the OWE, Stronghearts, Gleet side of things, how would you describe their last five years? Wilderness wandering. Yeah. I mean, like the story of OWE was that basically it was too small to succeed, but it also was probably the best chance. And it failed due to nothing on Stronghearts' side. It failed due to just pure numbers. Like it, it failed that way and they, the path wasn't there for them. And that left them still wondering in Japan where OWE was really about to launch shows in Japan that probably if OWE wasn't going under, I don't think we'd be seeing this kind of gleet. It might be more like Ledette UWF and whatever Kaz Hayashi had going on, but we wouldn't be seeing something that very much, in case we've talked about this every time gleets come up recently, very much like the the vision here, and I'm not saying that it's primarily him, this is Shimaism. And this is something that now we've seen that after all of the promotion jumping, doing a little stints in places that eventually th- that was going to have to run out. Like it maybe not for Shima, but for the group, it was the, they were going to need to sit down some roots and this became the best option for them. And this is something where you have the money from Ledette supposedly doing this. Uh, I, when I was talking on stream today, one of my big points about this number is it's not like Gleet has a lot of different revenue streams. 
There's not like they have a TV deal. It's not like they have a streaming network. They put everything up for free on YouTube. And then you have to look at attendances. And it's like one of the pure things because that's where the bulk of their revenue has to be coming from. And it's just does not add up and it hasn't added up from the start. And they also they don't run a lot of shows. And I don't know if that's helping them or hurting them, but I'm always kind of weirded out when I look at their schedule. There's just there's not a lot of gleat going on, you know? Yeah, and it's something that so for let's uh, treat this like this could be someone's first real discussion about OWE and the split here. Uh, the, in the time where OWE Japan uh, kind of t- closed up right when COVID was happening, Shima did his own self-produced shows called Action that were first in a bizarre Osaka art gallery, but then he started doing outside shows, doing some stuff with Dove Pro, but it was a lot more osaka and western japan base some of that might also be because dove is a hiroshima company but it's something that when you look at gleet and where they run it's basically tokyo osaka sapporo and okinawa occasionally it's not a real schedule it is basically hitting the most populated cities places where a lot of people who are the older people in this company have run for years and then sapporo is like the big outlier which makes you think that Maybe T Hawk is helping promote those shows. Frankly, yeah, I I think the the more evidence that piles in, this should be a promotion that's based in Osaka and should should spend their time focusing there because I I don't think I don't think Tokyo is it for them. You know, Corken Hall, which was once the friendly confines for everybody, I think has become an uphill battle. Really, starting with I, I say this, and I don't mean to paint a, a negative light on it the way that it will sound, but the exploitation of Cork and Hall from New Japan, and just the sheer amount of events that have been placed there over the last ten years, and then you factor that in with you know again the the struggling, dare I say, dire industry that is just wrestling in Japan, and you see, hey, you know, Kaito Ishida's from Osaka. They sold out Osaka number two last time they ran there, and yet when they're in Tokyo. I am under the belief June Kasai is the biggest draw in Gleed history. You know, he headlined their biggest Cork and Hall show. They've done a few Tokyo Dome City Hall shows, but th- those feel, you know, in the same way that you talk about Dragon Gate being a, uh, the brand that uh, the the brand being the draw, those bigger Gleed shows feel like the brand being the draw. But these Cork and Hall stops, that October show was headlined by June Kasai. And had the debut of Kaito Ishida. And as far as I'm concerned, those are the big draws there. But we've now seen diminishing returns with Ishida again and again and again. And it's something. So I'm just looking at the results right here. I'm just looking at the overall line about this. It is something where at, at a certain point, you have to run in Tokyo. Like, like I think that's a reality. As much as someone who is not a native and someone in my position can say, just the pure numbers are you have to run Tokyo. So it so that's always a thing there. And it, it's something that every promotion comes across. So can could this end up like how how Osaka Pro? I don't think they really, at least this are this incarnation, they don't go to Tokyo, but it's also at a much smaller scale. And I don't think with the people involved here, you can yeah, you'd be able to have them interested and involved if it was at that scale. I want to back up to Strong Hearts as a whole and five years after the split and then kind of pivot to to where Drangate is at now compared to them. I, I will always defend 
the existence of Gleet on a few levels. I think the first thing you have to remember is, you know, OWE was this amazing idea on paper, and unfortunately, paper is the one that halted it from being anything. The logistical nightmare of it all, the legalities of it all, it just wasn't going to work no matter how hard people tried it. And Mike, I, I will always laugh, and I, I think we've talked about this publicly, the message you got from somebody. What did the message say when people were trying to get the OWE kids into AEW? So uh, I had someone, yeah, yeah, we have the distance. I could talk about this now. I think I've talked about this elsewhere anyways. There was someone who was involved in the international promotion side of OWE that was trying to find any way to get them visas. And this was 2019. Yeah. And this was, I, I, I mean, sadly, like the political context at that time, visas were not getting approved. Like we could talk about how there were issues for New Japan wrestlers getting visas in the united states but it was doubly so when you are a chinese wrestler and i was contacted by this the, the this very auxiliary figure in the greater scheme of things i don't want to misrepresent this person and their relationship but they asked me someone who uh has zero legal background and when i say zero legal background the only time i've i've had anything encountering law has been like medial law classes in school and asked me Hey Mike, can you help us with visas? And I just get, said, getting visas for Chinese performers to come to America, which again relevant twenty nineteen also. Yeah, teenage Chinese performers. So that was a no go. So yeah, you, you yeah, have yeah. you had that conversation <laughs> ended very very quickly right afterwards when I was like, looks like uh, quickly going to the secretary of state department of state website looks like uh there's nothing that we could do here nothing that i can do i i suggest you talk to a entertainment lawyer not an archivist yeah so that that was a no-go there I, I think you know another asterisk that needs to be pointed out and this is something we talked about on the show at the time we had a little bit of a scoop with a z here the OWE Corkin show, which I think was December 30th, 2019. And I actually, I want to pull up that card real quick just to, to fully get my ducks in a row and make sure that I'm, I'm representing this statement properly. But the thing... So, Case, before we get into this, yeah. I, I do have like a caveat that I'm going to throw in that I discovered a couple months ago. Okay, so please. Something new about this, but continue. J -j just, I'm going, to, I'm going to jump in at a point, just preparing you for the hot tag. So, so the idea was that OWE was going to run Cork and Hall December 30th, 2019. And we had heard Kenny Omega was supposed to be booked for the show. Others had heard it was supposed to be Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks that were booked for the show because this is still at a time where AEW was very much trying to be in partnership with OWE. This was their big Japanese Cork and Hall. I believe it was their Cork and Hall debut. And we thought those guys would appear on those shows logistics to the best of my knowledge got in the way and that did not end up happening is this where you want to jump in yeah so actually i found this i, I was talking with someone involved in the situation after i wrote a post-mortem of owe after the news finally kind of came out through weibo chinese social media that owe for all intents and purposes dissolved was that the bucks allegedly allegedly Kenny showed up at that one Shinkiba show, but he did that kind of freelancing. Okay. And the but they all wanted to do this and they were trying to get it to happen, but it was probably not going to be okayed on one side. But the the I, I am still of the belief, however, that 
OWE and Strong Hearts were booking this with the idea that the elite were going to be there. And, and I still think that's relevant to bring up because right. would a, a one-off Kenny Omega appearance have sustained a company that was facing insurmountable odds? No, it would not. But I think it would have given strong hearts themselves, whether it be OWE or whether it would have been Gleet. I think it would have given them name recognition that would have helped them, let's say, prosper for a longer period of time. I think that Omega rub, Omega specifically, a massive star in Japan, undeniably in the scope of professional wrestling, I think that rub wouldn't have just popped a house, assuming, and I remember watching that OWE show and, and enjoying it, you know, it was Takeshita versus T-Hawk is what they ended up doing, and then the six-man main event of Aben, who was one of the top OWE prospects, Aben, Lindemann, and Irie versus Sakamoto, Okabayashi, and uh, Yosuke Kodama. That alone forgetting you know what i think it would have been omega versus t-hawks and then the, the uh, t-hawk for and then the bucks doing something else i think that would have sustained the brand a little while longer so we we have to factor that in as man the ball just didn't bounce in their direction there and the other thing that i will always defend with the existence of gleet is you have to remember shima t-hawk and lindemann were fully prepared to move to mexico in early 2020, get a massive push in, a, in, in AAA, and also we were at a time in AEW programming where it seemed like Shima was going to be doing an angle with the Dark Order. So all of that gets shut down. They were essentially forming a, a, a global enterprise, a traveling international brand, and in March of 2020, all of that came to a halt. And I, and I truly don't think when they were in Mexico in February of 2020, they thought, you know, we should get together with a money mark and with Kaz Hayashi, and we should do Diet Drangate in Japan. I think people would love that. I think this is the band-aid of all band-aids to cover the international wounds that were set in 2020. Yeah, and going back to the idea of what of what would happen if the if you had the elite on that show, if not for like providing momentum. That was a time where OWE Japan was basically from how I became became aware of like the individual things about it. Uh, from my understanding, it was basically Shima running with the former president Okamura's backing, and after that, after that tour, it was going to be purely OWE and Shima by itself. That could provide it enough stimulus momentum there to make OWE Japan into its own whatever gleet is at this level right now maybe not to that scale but it would have provided them with a landing position that would have avoided some of the indignities i would say that i would say that strong hearts had because of covid you, you know i mean you laid out what was going to happen likely in february of 2020 and that's not and the it, things turned about as poorly as one could hope or one wouldn't hope one would. Yeah, what, it could, couldn't, couldn't have gone worse for what they were planning. Right. And that was something that like they were always going to have an exit ramp back into Japan. Like I don't I think they might have were in Cambodia at the beginning, very early, like in the establishment of the uh, I think it was called Encore Warriors bar that they did there. That That's where the OWE kids ended up. Uh, the, the the last real existence of OWE was in Cambodia, basically as a fight bar because it was cheap and they could make money and try to bring in cash somehow. But it didn't work out that way because of COVID. 
but I don't think Stronghearts ever really were planning on being in, in Cambodia at that point. I think like Mexico really was going to be the exit ramp. And I say all of that because, one, I think it's interesting to go down memory lane. Again, five years is quite a bit of distance. There are some people that might be hardcore Gleet fans that might not know this is how we got there. But, you know, this is the very short version of this is how Gleet came to be. And I say all of that because I want to be as fair as I possibly can. I want to say that I enjoy this promotion. Lindemann last year for me, a top 10 wrestler in the world. Kaito Ishida for me this year, certainly in my top 50, wouldn't blink an eye. I wouldn't think twice about that rather. But this promotion, what is it? Who likes it? Seemingly nobody likes in Japan. It It is box office poison. And I, I think we we have to be the ones to say the the mismanagement of Kaito Ishida. Are you there with me and just... Yes, he's great in the ring. Yes, he's had a number of great matches this year. But as a persona, I am so turned off from Kaito Ishida right now. And this is kind of what he was doing at that at that period before he left the company. This seemed like what he wanted to be doing. Uh, you know, Ishida's departure last year obviously brought forth a ton of news. And the, I think the most widely publicized version of why he left was... Some combination of, you know, Yoshino retired and Kness retired and Shisa left and he didn't feel like he had anybody in his corner anymore in the company. And I I push back against that as being the reason because I, I think the verbiage that is used in those specific names, I think is a little bit outdated. My understanding of uh, who had power and who didn't, and again, this is a very loose understanding, was it? It wasn't those guys. You know, it wasn't Shisa and Kness pulling as many strings as I think they got credit for in that scenario. I don't know why Ishida left. We knew he was unhappy for a long time. I don't know why he left. I know, when did he leave? June of last year? Nine months after the fact, I think he looks incredibly foolish in this scenario. I, I... I don't see how this was a positive move at all. You know, he came into Gleed, and this is what I think is so interesting. He came into Gleed as an invader, but an invader that people wanted to love, and they quickly turned him heel. They had him link up with a Lucha unit, despite Ishida never wrestling in Mexico and really not having any sort of Lucha background. And then he loses the title, I think, after his first successful defense. He feels ice cold. I, I just, you know, th- this was going to be, this was going to be their calling card, you know, from a PR standpoint, hey, they got one, you know, Ishida was a guy that challenged for the Dreamgate belt, had that incredible Bravegate run, what was a great Twingate wrestler, a guy in the mix, a guy that people in Dragon cared about, and Gleek got one, and now, I mean, it, it is, it is the, you know, almost like free agency regret. I feel like if I was Ishida, I'd be trying to get out of here because I think they've completely mismanaged him in six months. And it's something who he they mismanage him with and how they mismanage him. I mean, he comes in, he looks like a house of fire. He gets a pretty instant title shot against Lindemann, loses that first one, wins a battle royal to get a shot in his hometown, wins the title there, gets the defense against Kazma, and then loses to T-Hawk. T-Hawk case. Who, I'll say this, before we like, uh, just as like a minor j- just side trip here, this was my favorite T-Hawk match, I feel like, since he left Dragon Gate. Like, this was the T-Hawk that if he showed back up in 2015, we not might not be talking about Gleet right now. 
Like, I'm glad that, you said that because I went four and a half stars on this match. I thought it was awesome in a vacuum. That's become my issue with Gleet. Everything in a vacuum I enjoy, but once you zoom out even a little bit, that bird's eye view is terrifying. Yeah, and, and it's something that I I sh- should should I drop this take now? Should I do it now? I look, I lo- Mike, I love when you have a hot take because you get so excited about it, and I I would hate for you to hold on to it any longer. Please drop the splitting atom of your gleet take. All right, uh, y- you know what gleet really is when we boil it down. What's that? Japanese Circle Six. Now, I'm certainly aware of the existence of Circle Six, but I am famously not a pervert, and I, I admittedly don't know a ton about Circle Six. Can you draw out that comparison for me? It's 440, and a lot of people run off from GCW that seem to, like, for various reasons, left that company, and it does not always seem to be amicable. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, here's why. And it's not ring style whatsoever. I mean, we're talking about New Sense Pro Wrestling with Gleet Case. My favorite part about every entrance. Uh, is there is the start video where then like a minute almost at the end it says new sense pro wrestling shima i'm like yep (laughs) i know what i'm here for but one could see circle six as a result of a i don't know political game or as people on the way out starting their own thing i look at it as like oh, that kind of reminds me of how strong hearts left the company and whatever reason and now they have their own small promotion ladette we know that they that they promote shows but as we talked about before this has to be a company that's burning an insane amount of money here where's that money coming from who knows what circle six money comes from who's behind all that and uh you have uh a booker putting over a star that did not get put over in their previous promotion atticus kogar versus t-hawk yeah, I look, uh, with my limited knowledge of Circle 6, you certainly explained it in a way there that makes total sense. And that's that that's what Gleet has become. And, and I think the purpose of this segment, I want to be clear, for me, it's not to dump on Gleet. I want this promotion to succeed because they book Al Lindemann, they book Kaito Ishida, they book Flamita, they might be the Japanese home of Commander, at least they were. I could very easily see him uh, finding a way into Super Juniors this year, but that's besides the point. I would it's love of Oshishiba. Home of, home of Ochi Shiba, who could forget? <laughs> home of Czech Shabatani, who could forget? But Jan's family. Uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> I, I would love a second healthy junior promotion. As somebody who obviously covers Drangate and has learned more so than ever over the last year, and I, I, I say this and, and you know, perhaps this will be gross, but just as, as the business of this show – you know, Drangate can have as many great matches as they want. We learned last year through the Dave Meltzer stuff, people are going to care so much more about the backstage drama and the jumps and the rumor mill than they are any form of wrestling. And if this promotion was competitive with Drangate, I think Drangate would start doing a lot of weird things. And I think that would be exciting for a promotion that has largely been the same for 24, 25 years, minus a few key moments in history, one of them being the OWE split. It would be great for Japanese wrestling, a scene that is in such poor shape. If there was a, a second junior-focused promotion that was healthy, that in this state could draw a thousand fans to Cork and Hall on a regular basis, but they're just not. And at some point, we have to have that conversation, and that's why we're having it now. That 
you and I might enjoy the top level matches, but I said this last week and it remains true after watching this Cork and Hall show. I don't know what this promotion is. It's kind of X Dragon Gate guys. It's kind of UWF guys. There's some really exciting young guys that don't ever seem to to penetrate the larger viewing audience. This promotion is basically black generation versus everybody else, which doesn't work for me at all. You know, I, I don't understand the booking that goes in here. I don't understand the units. I just know that Kaito Ishida is a heel and he's wrestling with luchadors. And yes, it's good in the ring, but God, is it inaccessible to me? I, I don't know what it is about this promotion. I want to like it and I want it to succeed. And I feel like it's not that they're taking one step forward, two steps back. It's that with every step they take, they're shooting themselves in the foot. And I don't know how much bone they have left to spare. Yeah. And I know I have more of a stomach for it than you do, but like the whole uh, Ledette UWF like thing has been, I, I think you have to look at it as a outright failure in a lot of ways. I mean, it looks like they're booking Shinya Aoki to beat their best homegrown UWF wrestler yet again, right? Like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. He is going to beat my main man Takanori Ito, and I'm going to be bummed. But then he's going to go put on the he's going to put on the apron and go hang out with Yosuke Kadama. So I'm okay with that at the the other side here. But the the thing is, is that you you would think that they're homegrown stars, and yes, they now have trainees, and they made a post about it. We'll, we'll see who sticks with it. But you would think that your Itos, your uh, your Tetsuya Izuchi's your guy, who completely is as cold as cold can be after a bad Ledette UWF MMA idea. Like that, I think the problem might be that there's just too many influences in this, and they should just let someone who maybe just let Shima cook and let him handle all of it. Because wh- why should someone be a sixty seconds fan, Kate? I have no idea. That's, I mean, that's what I'm trying to get to the bottom of. I, I don't know. I love Jun Tancho. I think he's yeah. great. But why should I care about him with the way that they get jobbed out to Black Generation? No, I mean, it, he would almost be a very nice success story. You know, he was a, a young boy who Shima took a, uh, took a liking to in Wrestle 1. And, you know, that promotion fades away. And he kind of hangs out in oblivion for a little bit. And I, I would look at him as a guy where you could say, you know, he was... He was a nobody until he found Gleet, and now he's a guy. And there's just, there's none of that. Again, the the promotion has become, here are some guys you liked in Drangate. Check them out here. And I think in the case of Ellen, and again, I, I, I will always defend the existence of Gleet. Because in 2022, L. Lindemann got to be the wrestler that I always knew he could be. And part of that was his work in the Super Juniors, the Super Junior Tag League. But also, he was a top 10 wrestler in the world last year. And that's because he was a damn fine wrestler in Gleet. He put this promotion on his back. And I thought every one of his title defenses was must-see last year. He was excellent. But once you, get pa- once you get past Lindemann, it's Ashita who has cooled off. And it's Shima, who I'm always going to have an unhealthy relationship with, but he's on the shelf right now. And it's T-Hawk. And if you come into this, let's say you're an All Japan Pro Wrestling fan, T-Hawk might be exciting to you. And I get that because, again, the guy can have great matches. But five years post-OWE split, his stock is in such a bad position simply because of how Dragon Gate persisted without him. And Case... Now he is G-Rex champion, but how many times, and not just from like our talks, but how many times independently through 
your little your little spiders, you know, dark Twitter, however you want to call it, the DMs. Did you hear the rumor that T Hawk might be getting out of wrestling soon? Because I heard it multiple times. I, I was thinking about that this afternoon because I remember so, somebody reported that once that he was looking to get out of wrestling, and I know that person didn't hear it from the same person we had heard it from. So it's it's a pretty sustained rumor, you know, from multiple circles of people that talk to. Uh, the Japanese industry at large. It's its not a secret, seemingly, that T-Hawk has been looking to bail. And, you know, again, All Japan keeps booking him. He's no longer in DDT, and I would love to know why. I know we have people that listen to this podcast that are more plugged into DDT than I am, and especially that you are. But uh, when Stronghearts showed up at DDT, I thought, okay, this is where they're going to be. And they never seem to really value Lindemann the way other promotions have, but they value T-Hawk and they valued Shima. And I thought that would be the landing spot. And instead they got bounced from DDT. And I think that has hurt their overall image a lot. DDT was very good for strong hearts. And I thought strong hearts were very good for DDT. And the, the real decline of that relationship has, has come, or I guess rather the decline of the image of strong hearts in my mind has been partially just because they no longer work those shows. Yeah. So, uh, assuming that, with our assumption that we have, that who does a lot of the booking there, why, when you've seen El Lindemann, who, in the ring, success story, as you're saying, but when the box office doesn't lie, was not what you would call someone knocking them dead or building momentum for this company. This is a company that did a little better with him as champion, but a lot of that was like Jun Kasai and Outsiders bolstering it. So you go to T-Hawk. Do you think maybe it's something that the fans that were there for Strong Hearts initially, do you think they're tired of Elendeman and T-Hawk? Because imagine if you are someone who just maybe got into this promotion because you were a Kaz Hayashi fan. You've been a Kaz Hayashi fan since 1994. Wouldn't you kind of get the idea of, well, why should I care about anyone other than Strong Hearts? And when, as we've seen, there's verifiable data, Stronghearts aren't really working to like make this into a promotion where that we think is healthy. No, and, and that's where you know we have to go back in time and remember that when Stronghearts split from Dragon Gate, they're the only thing that's ever drawn in Wrestle One. I went back today and looked at some Wrestle One Cork and Hall attendance numbers. They spike, or rather, they peak when T Hawk wins the the heavyweight title. And once T-Hawk loses that title, which is mid-2019, they never recover. I mean, some of the, the Wrestle 1 Quirka numbers in the middle and back half of 2019, they would be bad pandemic numbers. And this is 2019 when, you know, people could still easily put in 15, 1600 in and Hall. So they were a draw there. They were a draw in DDT. You know, I, I don't know if anything post 2017 ish has really ever been considered a draw in Big Japan, but they they ran there and, and you know did their thing again. You know, they they were slated to be uh, ideally draws in Mexico, but this kind of comes down to the crux of the issue. Strong hearts aren't drawing in Gleet. The name value of the brand means nothing, and the young guys I don't really think are given a chance to shine because they're kind of under the strong heart shadow. And so you just have this promotion that is simultaneously everything and nothing. And it's a frustrating watch if you invest any emotion into it whatsoever. But I have to say, though, I did enjoy watching this show <laughs> because you're absolutely right. I Maybe I'm so detached and I, I, I would have to say that 
we do have our inherent biases and I know for a long time with Galit for me, I was very hands off with, and that's still something that I'm working to overcome, but it was like, I like the UWF stuff. Like Hikaru Sato got messed up in that, 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 that was fun. And you got to see Galino Domal. I mean, he's a big boy and that was fun. Yeah. There, there was fun stuff in this promotion. It just, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. I guess that's almost my cry for help. And I would love for people on the Voices of Wrestling Discord to to come into the Open the Voice Gate channel. And you know, I, I don't want to turn it into a fantasy booking thread, but I'm curious yeah, to know. No if, fantasy booking. <laughs> I'm curious to know if if people understand where we're coming from on Galito, if, if we're coming down uh, like like Debbie Downers, because uh, yeah, it's fine. Four and a half star main event. Kaito Ishida and T-Hawk, awesome. Best T-Hawk match in years. But once the bell rings and T-Hawk gets the belt, who gives a shit? They ran a produce show for Black Generation and Shinkiba first ring two days later and didn't sell out Shinkiba first ring. I, yeah. I, I don't I, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with this promotion. It, it's, I, I guess this is the larger point. I want to pivot to Drangate a little bit because, like I said, we're five years removed, essentially, from the OWE split. And so what I did, Mike, and, and follow along on this exercise with me, I took all of the guys that are in title matches at this year's Dead or Alive. Again, the full card is out. We'll give it a big preview next week. Spend plenty of time on it. But the full Dead or Alive 2023 card, I looked at the guys in title matches, and I compared them with where they were at at Dead or Alive 2018. Do you follow that? Right. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. All right. So so we'll, we'll go through the list here. Jason Lee, Open the Brave Gate champion. He's going to defend his belt. At Dead or Alive 2018, he was in the Open the Triangle Gate Championship match as a very clear loss post, and he lost uh, maximum the belts against Natural Vibes. Would you say in 2023, Jason Lee is in a better position than he was five years ago? Absolutely so. Very much so. His challenger is Dragon Daya. Mike, five years ago, Dragon Daya had not yet debuted, so he is in a better spot. Uh, yeah, undoubtedly, yeah. I mean, Dragon Daya has, if you want to talk about five years, that is someone that if you want to listen to some 2980 or 2018 audio, not the most fair person to Dragon Daya. He, I would say probably out of the people you're about to mention, the biggest jump. Well, that this is, this is going to be a reoccurring trend is the guys that are in title matches that hadn't yet debuted by the time OWE slipped because the next guy on the list, one of the Open the Triangle Gate champions is Kota Minora. And Kota Minora had not yet debuted when the OWE split happened. Yep, he would debut like two months later. Very much so. Ben K, also one-third of the Triangle Gate champions. Ben K, of course, by this point, uh, had challenged for the Dreamgate belt. He won the Twin Gate belt at Dead or Alive 2018. Now he's coming into this show as an Open the Triangle Gate champion in 2023. Do you think Ben K's in a better spot than he was five years ago? Yes, but it took us a while to get there. There was it, it got much better, much uh, uh, much better, very fast, and then it got much worse, very fast. And now I think he's at the best stage in his career. Uh, yep, it, it, it's a little up and down. You know, it's like one of those pre-calc waves that I never learned. <laughs> uh, BB Hulk is also defending the Triangle Gate belts. He was in the opening match, an eight-man tag as part of Tribe Vanguard in 2018. I think BB Hulk is roughly in the same spot that he was five years ago. Yeah, and it's something that. His he's been at this level pretty much since 2017. So yeah. After that, let's talk about the uh, the challengers real quick on this triangle and this uh, exercise for the triangle gate belts. KZ he won the triangle gate belt at Dead or Alive 2018. That was the big natural vibes run with him and Genki and Susumi Yokosuka. 
he is once again in a position where he's challenging for a title in this match, but I think the profile of KZ from Natural Vibes 1 to now we're in Natural Vibes 3 has been greatly elevated. Right, yeah, I mean, we, we saw that last year when Sasumu and Kinky left, that it was like, yep, Natural Vibes at that time, that iteration was KZ getting to that level, and now it's KZ bringing people up to his level. Big Boss Shimizu on this team as well. 2018, he won the Twin Gate titles alongside Ben K. Now he is challenging for the Triangle Gate belts. I think Shimizu's in the same spot that he was five years ago. Yeah, because he already had a Dreamgate shot at five years ago, right? Yeah, I think he, I think it was a Wakayama match, but I think you're right. So, you know, he's reestablished this. If we were talking last year, I'd say he was down, but, you know, he, he's gotten back up there. Strong Machine J, the last guy in this Triangle Gate match. Strong Machine J had not debuted yet. Now he's wrestling for a title. Didn't know he existed. Did it, and, and boy, would I have liked to. It would have made his debut press conference a lot less scary. <laughs> After that, let's talk about the Twin Gate match real quick. Shuji Kondo and Kano will kind of lump them in together. Guys that were not in the company at the time. I think Kondo is an interesting one to look at because there's a chance that if Strong Hearts don't leave... He never comes back. Would I rather have L. Lindemann than Shuji Kondo? Yes, but I also think Kondo overall is a net positive for the company. Yeah, and that's also healing old wounds. Like, you can't really measure the Aganisu kind of fissure. Like, is it completely healed? Who knows? But, you know, that, that you, you know, settling business, you know, like doing things. That, that, that was a relationship that needed to be mended, and I think that has to be taken into account somehow. I'm with you there. So we look at the challengers here. There's Ishan who had not debuted yet. And then there's Kai. And he might be the most interesting name on this list to look at because he came into the company in August of 2018. And, you know, we've kind of spent a lot of this podcast disparaging Stronghearts, but myself in particular, when they split from Dragon Gate, I was so down on Dragon Gate. And for me, 2018 and part of 2019 it was so much more exciting to follow Stronghearts wherever they were going, and that was because you know they made Wrestle 1 interesting, and they made DDT more interesting, and here they were going international. And also because Drangate was booking Kai, and I've never liked Kai, and I didn't want him in my Drangate. And I think his success is such a representation of the overall ideology shift to where you don't have to be a true-bred Luchoresu wrestler and you don't have to be Magnitude Kishiwada. You can come from the outside and have great success here. And I think Kai at this point, and I've said this a number of times over the last six months or so, I think Kai has become underrated. And I think his ability to adapt to Dragon Gate while staying true to what makes him him and what brought him to the dance should be absolutely applauded. He is in a better spot than he was five years ago. This is the best run of his career. Yeah, and it is something that you look at where he was before Dragon Gate, and yeah, it's easily someone who massively jumped their stock. And then you have the main event. You have Shun Skywalker, who was in an opening eight-man tag. It was uh, specifically, it was Gamma, Kaito Ishida, Problem Dragon, and Shun Skywalker versus BB Hulk, UT, Hyo Watanabe, and Yuki Yoshioka. That was the opening match of Dead or Alive 2018. I think we would agree Shun is in a better spot than he was five years ago. Absolutely. Yep. And Madoka Kakuta, who hadn't yet debuted. It, it, the, the, the point of this exercise is ultimately history is written by the victors. And in 2018 and 2019, 
it seemed like Shima had won yet again, that the Japanese Jeff Jarrett was one step ahead of everybody and people didn't realize it. And as time has gone on, we w- went through the pandemic, Dragon Gate has won this battle from a perception standpoint, from a business standpoint, and from an in-ring standpoint. On this show, Dead or Alive 2023, they have one, two, three, four, five, six wrestlers, if we count Kai, six wrestlers in title matches who had not debuted in Dragon Gate in 2018 when the OWE split happens. The health, the seeming build to longevity that Dragon Gate has created, it is remarkable. And they are seeing that in the Dead or Alive 2023 card, which again, we'll preview next week. But what a remarkable looking show on paper. Yeah, and it's something that I, I, as you were laying this out, Case, I had, I don't know if this is as mind-blowing as Gleet is the Japanese uh, Circle Six, but I wonder, and and this is one of those things that we have to get some boots on the ground to figure this out, Case. I wonder how much of Gleet's fan base actually was aware of Stronghearts history before that because i don't think there is you know how much of strong hearts fans or glee uh are unaware that like it's i don't think they're making new fans you you think the glee fans are people that were strong hearts fans that have just followed them wherever they've gone i when i look at this uh invader showcase and sitting through it it's not like 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 I'm not dis- dismerching like Minoru Tanaka, where I don't think that Minoru Tanaka is bringing people to the building. I just look at this promotion and a lot of the pieces here, and I don't see how there's a path forward to growing new fans. Like I feel like you kind of have to be so reliant on the Dragon System Pass for a lot of that, and that makes the Ledette UWF stuff s- stick out even more. Okay, I- I'm I'm with you. I just want- I want to make sure I was on the same page as you. I- I'm I'm with you there. You know, look, we love Czech. We really like Jun Tancho. These guys are, are not drawing fans to the building, and I don't know if they're being put in the position to, but it could be a chicken and egg thing there. All I know is that over the last five years, you know, Drangi took a real hit uh, from a, in, at least in the English speaking world. And we saw attendance drop off when, when Strong Hearts left. You know, they, they took a hit business uh, from a business perspective. And now, you know, New Japan remains top dog, and rightfully so, and no one is in their universe. And I still, looking at, Looking at numbers, you know, not fighting with emotion, but looking at data, rather, uh, Dragon Gate remains the number two promotion in the country, and I think they've set themselves up to have a a remarkable back half of the decade, dare I say. I would agree. I would agree. Case, we've been talking about five years in the past. Let's talk about something that will be very soon celebrating its 20th anniversary, Case, as you... I. I, I don't know about the scheduling about this. So I was trying to do a smooth transition case. Let, let, let's talk about El Numero Uno 2003. Yeah, so Friday morning at VoicesOfWrestling.com, I think it's going to come out at 10 o'clock Eastern time, 9 o'clock Central time. Uh, I have written a, a very extensive article on the career of Genki Horiguchi and specifically the night of April 22nd, 2003, the finals of the El Numero Uno tournament, which if you know anything about the history of Torimon, that is the night that Geki Horiguchi became a star and the legacy and the image of Horiguchi has largely all been cultivated even 20 years after the fact, you know, this year or this week rather 
was one of his 25th anniversary homecoming shows. It's all based on El Numero Uno 2003. So I spoke with Genki Horiguchi through a translator. I interviewed him for this article. I interviewed a number of people, some of whom have who have worked alongside him. Some people who are merely uh, longtime fans of either him or Torimon and Drangate themselves. Uh, if you liked what I did with the Masato Yoshino piece when he retired 18 months ago, this Horiguchi article is is very very similar. Uh, like I said, it's it's quotes from Genki himself. Uh, and and thank you uh, if the person is listening, the person that helped set up that interview. Thank you very much for that. It, it went yeah, it was great. And you know I was able to get quotes from Genki Horiguchi, which is a, a pleasure. Uh, again, people that have worked alongside him. There's also a number of quotes. He did an interview uh, for the Pure Riso Today YouTube channel in early 2022. And I paid somebody who is a fan of this podcast and who lives in Japan. I paid them money. I said, will you please translate this entire interview for me? It's uh, about 45 minutes worth of content, and it seems really revealing and super interesting. And, and it largely touches on how he became a wrestler, and then some of his philosophies, let's say, you know, he doesn't really talk about much of his career. It's sort of his training and then natural vibes. And that is really it. But it was an eye-opening interview that I've been sitting on for a long time now. And I, I didn't really know what to do with it. And as we approach the 20th anniversary of this show, I realized, okay, I now have a chance to use some of these quotes to sort of paint a picture of Genki Horiguchi. I talk about how his mother, you know, basically broke out in tears when Genki told her that he wanted to become a professional wrestler, laughed at Genki when he failed his first entrance exam. He, he tried to become a student at uh, Yoshioka Yatsu's Social Pro Wrestling Federation. He failed his entrance exam. His mother laughed at him. And then he found out that he could go to Mexico for Ultimo Dragon and basically said, see ya, I'm going to go do this. Uh, and I talk a lot about his savviness. You know, he was the one of the Torimon guys that really picked up on learning Spanish and embracing the culture. And although it doesn't fit with the full theme of the article, I want to tell the story here, but it's in the article as well at speed star final, oddly enough, he's getting ready to go out and defend his open, the brave gate championship against Kagatora. And somebody from Gaiora basically tugs on his sleeve as he's getting ready to make his entrance and says, Hey, we need you to translate Diamante's promo right now. He's like, can I do it later? Like I'm about to about to go out for a match. They go, no, the video package won't get done unless you translate this right now. So as he's making his entrance, essentially he runs to the back, listens to the interview, translates what Diamante says, and then comes out there and has a match. And, and that is an overall theme of Genki Horiguchi's career. He's everywhere all the time. He's constantly working. He's constantly doing things for Drangit to enrich the brand. And the best night of his career was April 22nd, 2003. And Mike, I'll pass it to you real quick. What what are your memories of Horiguchi, you know, at El Numero Uno 2003, one of the more legendary shows in the history of Torimon? In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club. Dot com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. 
I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, ah, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards... It sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here on the voice of wrestling podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three in one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second, fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2k clear sight see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you 
handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7, so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second. Door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with Eufy Video Lock, search Eufy Video Lock. That is E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Again, that's Eufy Video Lock, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I I think that like before getting into the shows, we're talking about where he was in his career in a way because he was the lost post in a lot of ways for MTK after having a very short uh, babyface run, and it was something that throughout like in the lead up to this, it was something that Ginky was just kind of this very charismatic but annoying character, and the the time frame and the machinations, I'm not able to recall exactly this time but it basically created a scenario where el numero 2003 was done a lot more like how modern king of gates are where there was a last chance battle royal and like this and he got in through that and then through the rest of it he was able to summon the backslide and this is where the backslide from heaven came from yeah so you know, something that I, I hadn't really realized until I dug into this tournament, Masato Yoshino, who obviously at the time all caps Yoshino, goes undefeated in block play. He taps out Shima the opening night. The next night, he wins the NWA Welterweight Heavyweight cha- or the, the Welterweight Championship from Genki Horiguchi. The belt was vacant. It was supposed to be Yoshino versus Darkness Dragon. Believe it or not, Darkness Dragon got hurt. So they do Yoshino versus Genki. He taps out Genki. And then he runs through everyone in his block and taps them out. And so this tournament is kind of built up for Yoshino to be the star. And he wins his opening round match, but then he loses to Shima in the semis. And at that point, the obvious direction seems to be Shima versus Mochizuki in the finals because Mochizuki at the time was the leader of Shin M2K. Shin M2K was struggling and you can always go to Shima versus Mochizuki. And I think that would have raised the profile of the unit. And instead what you have happen is in the opening round, uh, Genki, well, Genki starts the show by winning the Battle Royal, which he was he was very happy to remind me. You know, I asked him, I said, what was it like wrestling three matches in one night? And he goes, it was four. I also wrestled in a Battle Royal. And fair game to Genki. <laughs> uh, and, and these Battle Royals, I mean, the, the collection of wrestlers, because this was after, this was like the first, like, real blending with T2P. Like, this yes. was the first El Numero of that. So it's like Taru, Toru Awashi, just like, 
that this is not like a very quick Kobe Sambo. No, this was a, it was the longest match on the show. It was, you know, about 20 minutes in length and Genki and Susumu are the two guys that come out of this battle Royal as the survivors. And so Genki comes into the first match against Magnum Tokyo, who had won El Numero Uno the year prior. Three minute match. Genki beats him with a backslide. Oh my God, what's going on? Okay, well, that was fun, but surely he'll lose to Masaki Mochizuki. Two minute match. Genki backslide from heaven. What the fuck is happening? Now that you're telling me the main event of the show is Shima versus Genki and the, the four block matches that they had combined maybe went 10 minutes because all the undercard matches on this show are under five minutes for whatever reason. And then you get into this scenario where it's Genki versus Shima in the main event. And again, Genki Horiguchi is a guy on the roster, yes, but a, a nobody in the grand scheme of things versus Shima headlining a massive pay-per-view in front of almost 6,000 fans and the crowd sides with Genki. And you get these Hage chants that just echo throughout the building. And it really looks like throughout this match. And I, I recommend watching it if you've never seen it. The main event is on the Dragon Gate Network. I don't understand why the entire show isn't, but the main event, Genki versus Shima, is. And there are so many great near falls in this match where it looks like Genki is going to beat Shima. And so the Hage chants, which went over to uh, America and Europe whenever he was over there, the backslide from heaven. Really just the aura of Genki Horiguchi. It all stems from this one night. So again, just to sort of plug my shit real quick, it's an article that explains how we got to El Numero Uno 2003, the hardships he went through in training, et cetera, et cetera, this night, and then the overall legacy, the lasting impact of this one show. Because, you know, you can look at a career of a guy like Shingo and go, well, he had this, this, and this, and, you know, he got better as time went on. He had these great matches, all this, that, and the other thing. With Genki Horiguchi, it's one night. It's he had this one match, this uh, this one show, rather, he wrestled three times in singles matches, one time in a battle royal, and the rest of his career has been based off of this one night. And it's a great thing for everybody to witness. Uh, so I, I don't know if I did a great job of selling this article, but I'm very proud of it, and I hope people read it on Friday when it comes out. Yeah, there's a reason why this is a lot more memorable than the fact that he won King of Gate 2012, even though he tried to remind us for years afterwards that he was a King of Gate winner. Love the tank top. It was a it, it was a great thing. Like in 2014, it's like King of Gate 20. Uh, that tank top lasted him for a while. Yeah, it was great. It was, it was outstanding. But, it, you know, even King of Gate 2012, he beat everybody with the backslide. It's the same thing that he did in El Numero Uno 2003, just nine years later. You know, it was... Uh, it was very much an homage to to this one evening. So it was a lot of fun. Again, uh, thank you to Genki for having a conversation with me, and thank you to everybody who who gave me quotes. There's, uh, you know, Mike is not quoted in this article. I, I reached out to a lot of people uh, that I, I've never spoken to for articles before. Yes, there's some Alan Forel quotes in there, but it wouldn't be my writing unless I stole Alan's opinion at some point. But other than that, it's it's a lot of new names. It's quotes from Genki. And it's a good time. So I encourage everybody to read that on Friday. I think it's going to be worth your time. Yeah, it's a really cool piece. Okay, Scott, let me preview it. And yeah, if you like the uh, Speed Star retirement piece, then this is going to be right up your alley for I, I will sure. say, Mike, it's much longer than when you read it. I I, oh, I would gosh. say it, it's, it's probably another three or four pages since the last time you had eyeballs on it. <laughs> so, so, so I'm someone who has writer's block for the last few months you're just cranking out a thousand words like it's not i really you know i i wrote sort of an extended drangate cork and hall preview piece in january 
I forget. Well, it, maybe it was the Shunan and Kakuta review. I did something in January and I said, you know, I'd like to do a column every month this year. And I had something really cool lined up in February, but it involved, unfortunately, interviewing wrestlers. And I think, one, they're just bad at getting back to people. And two, I quite frankly think I spooked them with some of the questions that I was asking. And I think people were like, eh, I, I, I don't want to reveal all this information. So I had to pause in, in, in uh, February, but in March, I did the Michinoku Pro piece. In April, I have this coming out. I have ideas for May and June already. And then as we get into the summer, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, retrospective stuff, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years stuff that I think is worth revisiting that is not specifically Drangate related. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of writing that I want to do this year, but I, I think it's very important that somebody like Genki Horiguchi, his story is told uh, to an English-speaking audience that can appreciate it. And I, I would say this will not be the last long-form Gate piece that I do this year. So hopefully people enjoy it. Again, it's it's very similar in structure and in tone to the Yoshino article that I wrote a few years ago, which I you know I was uh, very flattered by the, the feedback to that. I hope people enjoy this as well. So that will be up at Friday, uh, I believe, at 10 Eastern on VoicesOfWrestling.com. All right. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you added to it. Should we talk about Fukuoka? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So they had their traditional day-night doubleheader across Fukuoka this last week. It's all, you know, we're we're firmly now on the road to Dead or Alive. It's something where coming out of the show, again, as Kay said, we'll talk about and we'll preview uh, the full card next week. But everything's pretty much set for Dead or Alive. And... This, so for me, watching these shows, at least f- as I watch them, I was wanting to see how they were going to add things to these matches, to these programs that have been pretty firmly set. And the one program that they've really continued building towards, we had the second part of in Fukuoka with the SSW Quest second game. This was on the this was on the evening show. Uh, the show was on the 16th. It'll be up on the network till the end of this month, till the 30th with the SS Quest Game 2, Decourage Exploding, and the repercussions thereof. Case, how are you feeling about uh, SSW Quest as we enter its second game? I don't know if we have stuff for SSS, SS Quest for next week. No, I don't think so, because it's it's small, it's small spot shows next week. You know, I would be very surprised if there's another evolution of the story. Quite frankly, I don't think they need it, because I think the two SSW Quests that they did... Obviously, the handicap match of Zebrats versus Kakuta last week, and then in Fukuoka this past weekend, Kakuta versus Daya versus Yoshioka, the D-Courage three-way. I think they they hit it out of the park here. I think this was a really interesting way to get to this match. It kept me really invested in Kakuta. I think the handicap match versus Zebrats was a little bit more effective because, you know, as people heard last week, I came in guns a-blazing ready to put the belt on Kakuta. And I, and I asked you last week, I said, is he Drangate Sami Zayn? Do we, you know, if the plan is for Shun to win, which we expect it to be, do we need to pivot and ride the lightning that is Madoka Kakuta right now? Where do you stand on that? I told you last week, I would ask you again this week. And so coming out of these Fukuoka shows, Mike, not who do you think will win, but who do you want to win coming out of Dead or Alive? I th- I want Kakuta to win, and it is I I think there's a lot more interesting matchups for Kakuta, whereas Shun, 
I don't know if they really want to keep this heel run going past Kobe World, you know? So I, 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 I'm more interested after this week with what the future would be with, with Red Hot Madoka Kakuda as Dreamgate champion entering the hot season versus uh, the diabolical Shun Skywalker. I, I just kind of feel like that there's more out in front of him, I guess. Where are you at with this Shun Skywalker title run? Because I think universally, I I guess I shouldn't say universally because there were some outspoken people against Shun last year, but for the most part, the people that watched Shun Skywalker thought he was one of the best wrestlers in the world last year. He won the Dreamgate Bell in January. I think really leaned in to a more methodical in-ring style, a little bit more character-heavy, and he was already character-heavy. We're three months into him as the Dreamgate champion. He's had the one defense versus Strong Machine J. On a scale of one to ten, what's your enjoyment level there? I would say probably a seven, but I was a nine for his first run. Okay, I, I, I'm at an eight. You know, I, I think it would have been at a ten for most of last year with the work he was doing, a nine or a ten for his first Dreamgate run. I'm at an eight here. I think, I think he's going to retain it dead or alive. I think he should retain at Dead or Alive coming out coming out of this weekend shows. You know, if Dead or Alive would have happened straight after the Kobe weekend, I would have said, fuck it, rip up the paper, Kakuta needs to win the belt. It's not that anything went wrong in Fukuoka. I thought the angle was great. I really enjoyed what they did, but it recalibrated me. I, I don't want to say cooled off because that's not fair to Kakuta. It's just another week passed, and I went, okay. Shun Skywalker's champion. Shun Skywalker could be the champion. He had the weird defense versus Strong Machine J. I think he and Kakuta are going to knock it out of the park at Dead or Alive. I'm an eight and could very easily see myself two weeks from now being at a 10. Yeah, and I wonder with this uh, second game. So the three-way went to a DQ because he was a special gref- referee. He did a slow count and then he tried to chip. He He tripped up. Kakuda doing corner attacks. Kakuda lost it, attacked him. Shun Skywalker, who I guess was special timekeeper, called for the bell, called the DQ, and then turned to a Z. Bratz beat down on all of D Courage. They made into a five on three. Then it was uh, Dragon Die after a real quick five minute little, just really brawl and sprint stretch. Uh, got the win with the double cork uh, uh, Bible crucifix bomb variant there. Do you think it, it, your anticipation would have changed if they didn't? if they didn't go DQ into the obvious handicap match? No, because I liked the way it all played out. I thought it was very well done. As an overall segment, you know, I don't know if I could throw a star rating on it, but I, I thought everything hit, including Dragon Daya being being the one to pin Hyo here, you know, getting the Dreamgate guys out of the fall, but still building up Daya for his Brave Game match. I, I At the very least, I thought it was super efficient and super effective. I, I, I liked all of this. I, the the Z-Brats beatdown in Kobe, that handicap match, blew me away because I had such low expectations of that specific angle going into it. And then Kakuta went above and beyond, and I thought, oh my god, the, you know, the, the time to strike is now. He did nothing wrong. This angle did nothing wrong. It accomplished what it was supposed to. It's just merely that you know the, the calendar flipped over another week, and I and now that I have that distance, I've gone okay, you know. Shun, Shun should probably retain, but I'm not against them still leaning into Kakuta and the momentum that I, I think he still has. I mean, I felt like he was incredibly over on these shows as well. Yeah, he is. I, I would say, at least on these shows, and this was not a 
full roster. Uh, Doi wasn't there. Ultimo wasn't there. Ato wasn't there. He felt like the most over person on the show. Hey, real quick, do you think if Ato went to Gleet, it would make a difference? Initially, maybe like it would go up to 750. <laughs> maybe 800. Do you... <laughs> okay. Do you think T Hawk and Ata versus Lindemann and Irie, does that draw a thousand fans to Cork and Hall? I don't think so. I no. don't think so either. No. I just have it, no reason to believe that the strong heart side can build that. I think Ata versus Lindemann could do over a thousand pretty easily. And I think once T-Hawk and Erie get into that mix, there's 400, <laughs> there's 400 people that go, fuck it. I, I, uh, nah, I'm, nah, I'm good. Yeah. 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 They see Yamamura at the decks and they're like, I'm out of here. Does Ata versus Ashita do a thousand fans in Cork and Hall? Maybe. Not, yeah. n- not modern day Ishida. Yeah. But yeah, Ishida being seconded by El Bendito doesn't, doesn't do it for you. <laughs> and Harley Jackson, and don't forget Gringo Loco was, su- was sucking him for a while too, just to make this unit make less sense. Look, I, Gringo Loco is talented enough to work in Japan and it, oh, yeah. uh, should be in Glee. Glee is such a mess. They have all this talent at their disposal and they just, I, they don't know what they're doing with it. Yeah. And it's not like they aren't throwing ar- money around. I mean, it's not uh, like, uh, Shida couldn't have come cheap. Well, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm thinking about, they had, a, they flew at least seven people in from Mexico just to work Glee shows. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. Like, it's not like those plane tickets are something that are cheap. Like a lot of promotions have issues with that kind of stuff. It flew in seven people from Mexico that work for big Lucha. And I understand the whole point was like, it's the, it's the black generation takeover, but also no bandito. Who's the most over guy of, of all of them. And he's not in the unit, but he's a part of big. He runs big Lucha. No, uh, wow, that's, you know, I hadn't even thought about just the, the international fees that are there. Yeah, buddy, it doesn't make sense. Let me ask you a question uh, as, as we pivot back into Drangate here. I thought about this watching the Decourage three-way, and maybe, maybe that reveals my hand already, and it's a question I'll pose to you. If you could remove one person from Zebrats right now, make them a baby face, and put one person in Zebrats right now, make them a heel... Let's start with Zebrats. Who are you taking out of the unit and turning face right now? Diamante. I, I think that's my second pick, and, and no argument there. And it makes sense. The guy is gorgeous. The guy is talented. I think people want to cheer for him. I, I think that's a very safe bet. I, I'm ready for the Hyo babyface turn. He has he, he he has had such like a charismatic run as a heel comparison to where he was at Mochizuki Dojo or where he was yeah. before the the Great Brain, like. Seeing him now be able to take the babyface side would be interesting because he's a funny I'd, guy. He's funny. Like, I think it works. I'd like to see him turn face really just so I can see him turn heel again, because I think the second heel turn could be the the most maximum effective heel turn possible in the current context of Dragon Gate. But I think he needs that time as a face first. He needs to warm back up to people so he can break their hearts yet again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he needs to go be a third in a unit with Yamato for two years. Yeah, that's exactly it. Now, if you could put one person in Zebrats right now, who are you putting in? Entire roster is fair game. 
Yamato. I want to, I, I, I love seeing almighty Yamato. And I think that there is a time, I think the company's at a place where they can have their, their ace go heel and have that last big heel run. I'd like to see what Yoshioka looks like as a heel. And, and that is scatterbrain booking. I wouldn't advise them doing it. No, but wa- no. watching watching him in the three way match, I file he got it away. Mad at Kakuda. F- file it away. It was one of those where I went, mm, there's something there. I'd like to see a little bit more of that. That was very interesting. This was a very interesting match. Yeah, and it, it, it the way that he fired off to Kakuda after he Kakuda did the double chop to Daya that sent him down, he got mad. Like seeing him as a unmasked heel, I think he has it. Like and I think that now that he he's not encumbered by a giant rubber mask, I think we can get some really good, like just crazy facials from him. I completely agree. So in terms of D Courage versus Zebrats here, you know, obviously, like like Mike said, you know, it was the three-way with D Courage guys. They attack Hyo, becomes a handicap match, Zebrats versus D Courage. Thought it was super successful. Really enjoyed this. And I and I'm, you know, we'll we'll, we'll go through Dead or Alive next week. But if I'm if I'm not a 10 out of 10 for Skywalker versus Kakuta, I'm a 9.5. I'm very into the match itself, but I've really, really enjoyed the way they've gotten into this. Yeah, and they they still do have the those annoying uh, KBS Hall shows before. Oh, oh, damn! Maybe they can yeah, get that those time. are the, those are the most. I said this last week. The most inconvenient shows of the year. A Kyoto doubleheader right before a big pay per view. It just does not mesh with my schedule. Hey, five three twenty eighteen. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's uh the uh the famous. OWE shows up in Drangate tag match. We all go, oh, what's this? This is fun. And then a press conference three days later, she, so she was like, okay, not so even a real press conference. <laughs> not even like, like they didn't You're even right. a photo op. You're right. That's God, they didn't. You're right. It's just these, <laughs> these Chinese acrobats show up at Kyoto KBS Hall, blow the roof off of the building. And she was like, okay, so I'm leaving and these guys are coming with me and we'll see you all later. And it's, it, so bizarre credit to you mike you were you were you were the guy that had the scoop before anybody else yeah yeah and we saw what that got me what no wrestling observer newsletter hall of fame ballot you you know i I, i'm a 36 year old man i I, i've done a lot in those five years to probably get that i know alan is not a black ball (laughs) (laughs) all right well, well let's uh let's run down the results of uh the the first kyoto show real quick here uh, oh, uh, the the first Fukuoka show, yeah, yeah, that's right. what I meant. Yeah. So both of these shows, like the the one nice thing, especially since cheering crowds come back, easy watches across very, Fukuoka now. Very. And, and the crowds were good. I lo- it it is something that I wonder how much that like the venue and COVID really kind of tainted it because it kind of reminded me what I did like the when they first went there I was like oh this kind of reminds me of like a mini cork and hall like venue and that feeling was back both these shows I mean I got through it fast forwarding through intermissions under two hours uh, the afternoon show started with natural vibes versus the old heads as they, they've been in so many different units together these three guys uh, Mochizuki, Kanda, and Horiguchi versus KZ, Shimizu and Kame Kame got the win on Horiguchi with the jackie knife cut back they the crowd went wild for that jackie knife on that uh yeah K- kamei's feeling it right now that's uh, a, a guy who uh, had a very good weekend great weekend stock up jack uh match two 
the the Starcross Lovers tag team, Yamato and Don Fuji. You, you know that's my favorite impromptu tag team in this company, kids. Of course. Yeah, they went up against the Mochizukis, and Don Fuji won with a Gato clutch on Junior after Junior missed a hurricane kick, and that it, it was seven minutes, but it was like the most compressed seven-minute match that these four guys could have. I caught up on some New Japan over the weekend, and I, I've now seen enough Aussie Open and Goto and Yoshihashi to confidently say... The Mochizukis are my tag team of the year through April 19th, 2023. And Mark Davis is still despicable. I like Aussie Open. Good team. They have not had as good of a year as the Mochizukis. I'm sorry. Yeah. They have not. No. I, I, I am totally with it. Uh, th- there was a moment where, Mochizu- where Mochi did the thumbs up, like out of nowhere, that it cracked me up in this, in, in that one, but that was neither here nor there. Uh, Singles match. You know, on you know the what show. this was? You know what that was? Hmm. That was that was the touch football match of the night. But if they were playing touch football, like the scene in Wedding Crashers, where they all take it too seriously, that's what this match was. Oh, that's it. Absolutely, I'm with you on that. Uh, match three, singles match. Strong Machine J and Kota Minora. Kota Minora won with the gong. Up. Uh, I I I don't want to get on one of our Minora tangents here, but is he actually over? Hmm. You have stumped me with this one because it's not the direction that I thought you were going in. And my my answer to that question, this is not good radio. I don't know. I don't I think, know either. I think that is a really good question. I don't know. I really wonder because across Fukuoka, who were getting into Kamei and Horikuchi in the closing stretch of that opener, into the seven-minute uh, car crash football game, sat on their hands the entire time for this okay one. i i don't i don't know if that's fair because my comment was gonna be damn strong machine j is actually pretty over yeah no he was more over than kota Minora by far in this match i really i and we'll talk about this with the evening show as well i really like strong machine j he was in my th- this was Okay, this is interesting, because this was my second best match of the weekend. I almost went notebook on this. I went three and three quarters. I thought it was excellent, but it was excellent off of the resilient Strong Machine J babyface performance. Okay, I just couldn't get over how slow it was and how Strong Machine J was great in it, but Kota Minora, I, I, I need some months away from this guy. I really do. I think you just had six months away from him. He did nothing from August through January. But he still was here. I want him to go hang out in Mexico for a while. This guy needs an excursion. I think he'd be he'd be so disgustingly over in Mexico. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I'm that's what he, he's the the money that he could make just on his entrance alone, doing the stripper gimmick and picking up the money. Oh my god, that'd be sickening. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, match four. I, I, hold on, I, I really, I, I don't have a ton to add here, but I just want to say I okay. really like this match. I thought it was, it was heavy hitter Minora, who you're, you're right, it was slow, but I thought it was Minora kind of dropping big bombs, in Strong Machine J taking hit after hit after hit, and it was just really well done. By the end of it, you know when he kicks out of, uh, I think it's the R three hundred one that he kicks out of because the Gong is the one that ended up beating him. A big pop from the Fukuoka crowd, and it, it made it clear, you know, a month and a half removed from Champion Gate in Osaka, yes, he lost that match, but he came out on the better end of that Champion Gate Dreamgate match. You know, the Strong Machine J is it, my, my big question coming out of this weekend. I guess we can get into this here a little bit. What is his next step? You know, he's 
in a way he's in this this nest of natural vibes that I think does him a lot of favors. But I do think there is a ceiling to him in this unit, and we just saw him lose a Dreamgate match. So I don't know where he goes, but he's getting better and better and better, and I think he's getting more over as time goes on. He's in a really weird spot right now. Yeah, and it's something where, like, he has so many different limiter caps on him, you know? Like, he's limited by the fact that they want to stick at least at this time with him doing his dad's gimmick in a way like that he it, it, and it's always going to be like a reference point is oh he's the masked son of the original mass man you know like there's that and the fact as you said like natural vibes it is like a comforting nest and it does bring young wrestlers to the next level but it doesn't take them all the way it hasn't even taken kz all the way and i i, I see what you're saying i don't know what that next step is but I don't know if it's as much because of natural vibes or I still think the auspices of being strong machine J is the thing. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is for him. You know, I don't think he's ready to lead a unit, but no, I also, no. I, you know what his, he's, his push is so interesting. And that's why I really, you know, I, I want to know where he goes from here. And maybe it's maybe look, maybe he just wins the triangle gate belts at dead or alive. And he finds some stability there, but his push started with a dream gate loss. And so now everything after that is he's in this elevated state, but there's also very clearly a glass ceiling above his head. And I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take to break through on that. He's again, he's improving rapidly. He has this great singles match here with Menor. I thought he was excellent in this match, but where does he go next? Yeah, and I just don't know how you figure that out for him either because I don't think that, like, leading a unit is not the answer for him. Maybe, like, we'll, we'll get into this on on the night show. Maybe there's something there with him and JFK. Maybe there's something there that they could have him do before they're re- ready to break him away from natural vibes. He's only I, been in natural vibes for less than a year. Yeah, it was June, right? Right, yeah. yeah. It was coming off of the Okinawa, not Okinawa, Sapporo weekend. Yeah, because it was the King of Gate Finals in Cork, and that's when, they, that's when he joined up. Right, yeah. Uh, match four of the day show. Uh, we're seeing some more Rey de Parejas teams pop up on this show uh, on this day with double dragons, Dragon Kid and Dragon Diet, defeating Jason Lee and Kaito Nagano. It was the DDDDT on Daya. And I this was probably my favorite. No, I like the main event a bit more, but this was one of my favorite matches on this morning show. Just because we got to see Dragon Kid just really like dismantle Kaito Nagano. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. I, I thought this match was just okay, but that also might just be a victim of my expectations. No, that's entirely fair because it was not like a Daya gun show. Not a whole lot of Brave Gate stuff, you know? No. So, yeah, no, I, I could totally see how that fell a little bit more flat for you. Uh, semi-main event, Gold Class, Hulk, Benkei, Minorita versus Zebrats. Kai, Diamante, and Ishin. Ishin is back, and he has a new move. It is what they're calling a modified uh, scrap buster, but what it really was was a. it looked like a variant of his Kamada chokeslam that he's able to do because uh, Minorita is so small. It's a fireman's carry into that slam. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to apologize. I was very hard on Ishin last week. I expressed severe concern over his character, over the way he was presenting himself, over his immediate future. Those concerns are no more. Ishan is back. I thought he was excellent here. I am back on the Ishan train. 
he was good on both shows. I, I very think JF- yes, very much so. I think JFK, I think, is the MVP of Fukuoka, but he had it. It is something he. Uh, he he took a left hand turn when I was expecting him to continue doing his silent killer kind of thing. Yeah, he's not he, wearing, he, he he's removed not the, mask the, the he, he took off the mask. He removed the zombie nature of his character. He had much more intensity this weekend. This was a, a change in all the right directions. And he's getting thicker. Like he is. He, yes, he is. Yeah, you know who he really reminded me of when I saw him like in his entrance. Who's that? He looked like a Higuchi Sito in the right kind of ways. As in Kazusada? Yes. Huh. Yeah, I had yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. You know, I mean, yes, uh yes, uh Koji Ishinriki was one of the smallest professional wrestlers in modern history, but he still was a he still was a sumo wrestler. He can get some weight on that body. You yeah, know? very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that was a I thought pretty solid semi-main event. The main event, uh, Dreamgate build, Yuki Yoshioka, Madoka Kakuda versus Shun Skywalker and Hyo. Yuki Yoshioka won with the reversal Samson victory roll in 16 minutes. It was yet another Skywalker versus Kakuta match that made me really excited for their Dreamgate. So that is a, that is a successful main event in my book. Yeah, well, my only complaint was uh, this match, which three and a half, I thought. No, nothing on these shows was bad. It just was that singles match did not do it for me. But my, my one thing was I was wondering why they did the victory roll on Hyo. Like, why did he need to get protected so much? Little did I know that he would be very involved and basically be penned very easily the next show. Yeah, no, this was it, it was nice to see sort of some show-to-show booking here. There are some guys that looked good on, on the first show and carried it over to the second one. Yep. Uh, do you want me to start running down the night show? Please. So the night show, again, 16th, will be up until the 30th. Uh, again, this show actually was for for the people there that keep track of this story and stuff. This is like a rare time that the night show was shorter than the day show at Cross Fukuoka. Did you notice that? I did. And both of these shows, when you skip intermission, both of these shows are, I think, under two hours. They are very short. Oh yeah, easily under two hours. The uh, the opener of the uh the the night show, and by the way, for this might be anyone's first show, for these network shows, the first matches are always available for free on YouTube, so you can go check it out. And this was a solid enough dead or alive primer. I felt like kind of building up the uh, Triangle Gate match as you had the champion team Kota Minor, BB Hulk, and Binke of Gold Class versus KZ, Big Boss Shimizu, and Jason Lee. It was Shimizu. Cracking back to Team Boku with a Law Maestro Cradle on Hulk. Fun opener. Good stuff here. Yeah, I thought it was fun. And it continued into what I thought was a hot little under five-minute match between Hyo and Minorita. Uh, Hyo won with a Bobby Hill special. He distracted the wrath, told him, give me back my purse. I don't know. You kicked him, scrawl on the groin, rolled him up there to get the win. I really enjoyed This was pretty motivated Hyo here. Yeah, every once in a while, we get these Hyo matches where it kind of works with the intensity of like the four pillars of all Japan. And this was one of those where he was hitting Minorita really hard, he was dropping him on his head. And and you're right, you know, this was this was motivated Hyo. This was Hyo looking for work rate and not necessarily an angle. And that's not who he is. That's not who he needs to be. But when he shows it, I always really enjoy it. Yeah, five minutes. I love a five-minute match, guys. As, as do I. 
as to, as we all should. Uh, next match, we have a new tag team, Yamato and Kaito Nagano going up against Kai and Ishin. Ishin pinned Nagano with the Kamada chokeslam. I I really thought Nagano, who has been has been hit and miss, a little shaky at times, real strong day for him in front of his hometown. Do you have a whiteboard in your new place? Because I have an idea. Not yet. Oh, me and Kings have been looking at whiteboards. <laughs> have fun with that okay (laughs) let me speak this into existence on a slow week chemistry power rankings because i think i think we need to celebrate the chemistry that kai and kaito nagano have with one another it it is i have in my notes professional fucking chemistry between kai and kaito nagano obviously nagano is from here he is essentially the fukuoka equivalent of what Daiki Yaganayuchi is in Tokyo. He had his debut match against Kai, one of my favorite debut matches of all time. And every time they are in the ring with one another, those two guys get each other. It's a little bit like, you know, Kai, even when I wasn't in love with him, he always had great chemistry with UT. And I always shouted that out when I could. It's the same thing with Nagano. I, I think he it, the size difference really plays to his strengths, even when he was not uh, up to speed in the Dragon System style. Yeah, look, you would have no idea. If you started watching Dragon Gate today, you would have no idea that Kai is a Mudo disciple who comes from old Puro logic, who for years and years struggled, in my opinion, adapting to the Dragon Gate style, because once he figured it out, this guy is so in tune with the beats and rhythms of this promotion. And this was, I look, I love this match. I'm at three and a half stars on it. it. It was, it was Kai and Nagano going after it. And then Ishin showing some fight. And I hadn't been getting that from Ishin since he came back in March. You know, he, he was off February. He had this zombie gimmick that is just, or I'm sorry. He was off in March, came back in April. Just that, that presentation was not doing anything for me. And then he showed up here and was acting like he was mad at people, was acting like he was angry, was acting like he was a professional wrestler, and all of a sudden it started working again. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it, it's something where I did like the zombie gimmick to an extent, but some of that was also my own mind canon of thinking like, oh, he's actually doing devil vow to cause when that, who knows what his motivation truly was. But this is just yeesh and getting after it. And that's been a real fun thing to see. Match four was an eight-man tag. It was the entire complement of M3K. Masaki Mochizuki, Susumu Mochizuki, Yazushi Kanda, and Mochizuki Jr. Versus the real, real, uh, like, legends of a, of a company. Don Fuji, Dragon Kid, Ginky Horiguchi, and Komao Ichikawa. It's listed as a Boston Crab. However, the reality was Susumu Mochizuki was basically using uh Konamao Chikawa as a shoulder weight when he tried to go for a Hurricane Rana trying to right after Dragon Kid did one. Instead he got it looks like he was gonna get power bombed to try to fight out and Susumu just sat on him. He just sat on Komao Chikawa case. It was it was a sight to see. Fun was had by all with the exception of Konamami Chikawa. A tough night for him. I, I like the fact that like Ichikawa was taken out immediately in this match, and then Fuji and Junior brawl to the back, so it became a three-on-two, essentially. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah, and, and it was something that during that three-on-two, you the, the look in Ginky's face, w- one of the one of the greats, just one like, greats. like one of the greats, just going, oh, okay. <laughs> 
the semi main event of Fukuoka was my match of the weekend. It was Strong Machine J and, and Jackie Funky Kamei versus Shun Monte, Shun Skywalker and Diamante. They put Kamei into the dirt with the Cielo finale in 14 minutes. I really think Strong Machine J and Jackie Funky Kamei might be the next step forward for both guys. That might be it. You know, this was my match of the weekend as well. I I didn't love the finish of this. If the finish was just a little bit hotter, I would have gone notebook on it, but I was being a little stingy, decided to uh, to keep it at three and three quarters. But you might be right. You know, with Jason holding the Brave Gate belt and hopefully holding the Brave Gate belt for a long time, because again, I, can think, I, I think he can have a Pac-level, Kaito Ishida-level run with that title if he's given the opportunity. Kamei and, and Strong Machine J, that's that's good energy right there. That's very good natural vibes. It's a, a, a power junior combination there. There's a lot you can do with those guys. And specifically, hey, run back this match in a bigger building. Run back this match with a better setting. And I think you have magic on your hands here because, you know, you really enjoyed Kamei this weekend. To me, this was one of the banner weekends for Strong Machine J, you know, four years after his debut. We really saw him put it together as like a, hey, this guy isn't just good. This guy isn't just underrated. This is a guy that can carry some weight on his shoulders and really deliver when the time comes. I had two, uh, both of his matches this weekend at three and three quarter stars. I was four flat on this. I did go notebook in. A lot of that was that the first like seven minutes of this was just an incredible Jackie Funky Kamei babyface in peril. Like just getting destroyed and keeping the crowd in it. The crowd was so engaged in this by the end of it that it was something that I thought was pretty special. Yeah, you run this back in Cork and you run this back in even Osaka number two and just imagine the response there because the crowd was into it here. You know, obviously Shun is the Dreamgate champion right now, so this isn't going to happen anytime soon, but I, I, I was just thinking about when Shima and Dragon Kid held the Twin Gate belts and they had those two matches. It was KZ and Yosuke Santa Maria. They challenged for the belts. And then it was KZ and Hulk challenging for the belts. And they lost both those matches. But I like that, you know, KZ was kept in the mix, but basically upgraded his partner in that second challenge. And that should be at some point the goal of, of Shun and Diamante and Kamei is you run Shun and Diamante versus Kamei and Jason. And you run Shun and Diamante versus Kamei and, and Strong Machine J. And you run Shunan Diamante versus Kamei and Casey. And I, I think you run the gambit of, of natural vibes versus Zebrats in, in that setting. I think there's a lot of good that could come from that. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, and then the main event was the SS Quest second game, the three way Yoshioka, Dai, and Kakuda going to a DQ. And Hio got attacked as the referee. Then the impromptu three-on-five match that we talked about a little earlier. Daya winning with the double cork Bible variant on Hio. Real, real fun. Uh, Fukuoka shows that I'm starting to come around on Fukuoka, and I think that is because the crowds can. Yeah, no, the, these shows are a lot more lively than they were in, in you know 2020 and 2021 when I thought largely the company was cooking, but Fukuoka would always cool things off a little bit. I, you know, we did not spend a lot of time talking about these shows because I want to talk about Glee, want to talk about Genki Horiguchi, but these were fun shows. And again, under two hours on both of them, if you jump around to the network, there's no reason you can't sit down and knock these out. They, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, no. And it's something where I think it, with the crowds coming back and everything with this, and I think that, I, again, it's no Star Lanes. There will never be another Star Lanes, but I this venue could have potential. I feel like I, I just wonder 
if it's ever going to make sense for them to treat it like how they would treat Hakata in the past. I, I would I would like for them to. I'd like to have uh if they're not gonna run Osaka frequently, which they, they certainly and, and maybe in my mind they just used to run Osaka way more, but they're not there a lot now. And thus this, you know, this is an important building for them. So the the more care and the more focus they can show in Fukuoka, the more it is appreciated on my end. And the last bit of bigger Dragon Gate news coming out of this weekend, we had a match update for Dead or Alive. Wanted to touch on this before we get into the card more in depth next week. But a UT's comeback match has been decided. This kind of the pieces kind of made sense that that he would be teaming with Jackie Funky Kame given what the rest of Vibes are doing at Dead or Alive. But they will be going up against Kagatora and Kaito Nagano and UT's comeback match in his hometown in Nagoya. This will be the opening match. It will be on YouTube. We'll talk about it more next week, but I, I want to at least mention that UT is back. He has a match booked, and I think it's going to be good stuff. Yeah, no, UT versus Nagano. That is an exciting thing to think about. Well, that's what I'm trying to remember now. When did when did UT get hurt? He was out. Okay, so he's been in the ring with Nagano. He's been in the ring with Nagano before he's been on the same team as him. Okay, he's been on the same team as Kaito Nagano once. He has not wrestled him in a match. So that is the, that is the first time pairing there. That's exciting. Oh, that's fun. I did not know that. But Case, do you have anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap things up this week? Next week, we will be previewing Dead or Alive. That's, I guess, that's my last thing here is next week, previewing, uh, previewing Dead or Alive. Mike and I are going to try to do same-day audio of Dead or Alive on May 5th. So, you know, watch that show live or right after it drops on the network. And hopefully we'll have some audio for you by Friday night or Saturday morning. Uh, and and like I said during the show, uh, Genki Horiguchi, the, the article is uh, Hage, the enduring legacy of Genki Horiguchi and the backslide from heaven. That will be up on VoicesOfWrestling.com. It should be 10 Eastern time on Friday. I really encourage people to sit down and give that a read uh, because I'm proud of it. And there's a lot of people that have very interesting, very profound opinions on Genki Horiguchi's career, plus quotes from Genki himself. Yep, it's going to be real special. Keep an eye out for that. But that's going to do it for us this week on Open the Voice Gate. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. Cases underscore in your case. I'm at Fuchiheya. And while you're on the internet, go to wherever you get your podcasts, especially if it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and rate and review us. It's the best way for people to find out about the show. But that's going to do it for us this week. Until next time, take care, everyone. Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagney, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today. <laughs>